0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 10 of the Create More podcast For me, Ben Stewart. This is the final episode of series one of the podcast series. And uh, boo, I know, but we'll be back very, very soon, series two. Uh, but who have we got on this week? We have Victoria Thornton from Open City, who, well, I mean, the list is extensive. Uh, so... To give you a bit of background for those who don't know, she started or formed Open House back in 1992. Um, if you've never heard of Open House, uh, this is uh, for London. This was an ability where they went around and asked the owners and developers and clients who own these amazing buildings, houses, uh, famous houses, galleries, uh, bit tour buildings, uh, places like Lloyd's Building in London, and they opened them up for a day uh, so anyone... Absolutely anyone could come and look. So for 24 hours or 12 hours when it was open, you could, uh, you had thousands of people going through these buildings and it was such a cool idea. The idea was that you would, uh, you would make it an open forum. uh, So take money out of the equation, you didn't have to pay to get in, you just had to queue. So it was a totally democratic way for, to allow people to understand architecture. And she's got this great quote, which is, um, you can't experience architecture from textbooks. And I just, it's such a nice, it's such a brilliant idea. And this was done in 1992. And um, since then, it's become, it's now Open City, it's called. But it's mental. Like, so over the last 23 years, it's gone from having 20 buildings to now having 200 buildings. No, sorry, 700 buildings uh, in the city with a quarter of a million people who do it over a one weekend. Uh, Make Studios have done it. And so they try and, you know, anyone who just... It's just a really, really, really good thing to be part of. And it's not just ballooned from there. It's gone on. So she's stepping down as the CEO of Open City. And she said she wanted a bit more time uh, to herself. So she's decided to uh, continue Open House worldwide, which uh, it doesn't sound like a step down to me. It sounds more like a massive step up. But she she assures me that it is uh, less work for her. But the idea is that lots of other cities want to do this. And why wouldn't they? So... Instead of just allowing them to kind of go off on their own, she's actively trying to make, a, I guess, a manifesto and to go to cities all around the world. So they're trying to get um, what well, we go over in the podcast. But I think it's something like 100 cities she's going to get or more over the next uh, couple of years. So she goes there and we we'll listen to the podcast. It's a just a simple idea, the premise of Open House and the wording and the way the word is done, like the title of the brand is... Um, is really really important and we also talk lots about how this is one of the things that really interested me was how that cycle of getting people to understand architecture and their own built environment more anyone this isn't just Ponzi architects this is this is anyone feels that they have an invested interest in their built environment and this idea that then she's also started school programs um primary school programs to try and make everyone understand the importance of having good architecture and um she's also and something i'm taking part of in november is called open accelerate which is accelerate into schools which is education for kind of it's the it's that final stepping stone between secondary school a levels and then university if you're from she words it a lot better, but uh, underprivileged backgrounds or, you know, people who might not have the uh, access to the things that basically white middle class people have really uh, for architecture. It seems to be the predominant way of doing it is that kind of final stepping stone of she she, calls, she describes it as critical thinking and just to be in an interview uh, and to explain to tutors um, exactly, you know, why you should be on this course. And that's something I'm taking part of, which is really, really interesting. So uh, this is the final one in the series uh, for series one. And we've done 10. And I just thought a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks. So iTunes picked up the podcast, which has been brilliant. So I should say a massive thank you to Renee from ACAST for promoting this. Um, So... Uh, we went from having, say, 10 to 20 people download it, which I was more than happy with uh, because that made me feel great. You know, I was doing it for myself, and then now iTunes have picked it up. We're getting around 150 downloads a day. So um, this is really exciting that I know this is going out to quite a lot of people. So I just thought this would be a great time to say, one, if you listen to this on iTunes, uh, you should also really listen to it on Acast, which is acast.com. And then forward slash create more podcasts. just because uh, wh- what I think the medium is progressing to and something that I've picked up from other podcasts is uh, ACAST embeds Im- images and links. So as you're listening to it on your smartphone, you can, um, as I talk about Open City, a link will pop up and you can click on the link and it takes you straight to her blog or takes you straight to a website she's been talking about or a building and I think it's a really good way especially for a design based podcast to have that ability to listen uh, and to engage in that way so listen to it on Acast um, but we're also now starting to put the podcast out on SoundCloud um, which is another massive medium of things that iTunes is great for iPhone users but there's also obviously the whole rest of the world that don't have iPhones so we're starting to put it on SoundCloud which is soundcloud.com forward slash <clears throat> Create More Podcast. Um and listening to the end to find out who I've kind of already got lined up for series two. Um, I had my first person ask me to come and interview them, which was brilliant. So I'll tell you that all at the end. But um, if you're new to the podcast, you've not listened to it before. I just thought it's all. It's called the Create More Podcast. It's all about creative entrepreneurs, but more. The ideas and the people who came up with the ideas and the implementation of these ideas, which I'm really interested in, especially coming from this podcast and thinking about it and doing it. And it's quite scary putting something out there. And this is on a relatively small scale. So starting your own practice or your own business or your own music studio is a massive leap of faith. So. Um, I've had some absolutely brilliant podcasts so we started off with Assemble Studios who've done like pop-up cinemas and galleries and they're now nominated for the Turner Prize they've been amazing that's a Jane Hall interviewed David Batchelor who's like a famous light artist uh, Jay Un from Studio Weave, who do these amazing story-led architecture. Um, Jason Bruges, who does uh, incredible interactive architecture. Uh, then also Scrubius Pip, who's um, a recording artist. He's also a hip-hop artist, a poet, runs his own recording studio. Um, Alistair Parvin, who does open-source architecture in WikiHouse. Uh, Ken Shutterworth, who's the founder of Make Architects, worked in Wembley. In the, and... Um, worked on the Gherkin and things so if you want to find out more about what it's like to run a famous architecture practice uh, Sue Butcher who's like a, a Twitter a social media expert not just for it's interesting for architects but also just for anyone who wants to get into Twitter and then last month's one which has been by far the most popular um, is Chris Mo from Studio Octopi who uh, one of the things I was really interesting he does Kickstarter campaigns so that is I think you'll agree a pretty rounded set of um, people to interview so Thank you so much for listening and I really hope you enjoy this podcast. It's uh, it's just about an hour of us of us chatting and me finding out lots more about what she's going to do and how she started and things. So um yeah, thank you so much and listen to the end uh, to see who's on season uh, series 2 which is uh, I'm just going to do way quicker than I planned. I mean I I promised my wife I would uh, delay it a little bit, but um <clears throat> I've already got people lined up and I'm too excited. So yeah, thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Bye. quite good this setup it means i'm totally mobile it means I, I it was all powered off the laptop so uh brilliant it's really good i mean i could do it in a field i don't know why i would but <laughs> right well uh the, I, I'll, I'll just start recording so yeah. i'm here with victoria thornton so thank you so much for coming in
1: thank you and
0: uh it's been a couple of weeks but we've got we've got there in the end haven't we yeah and uh so i thought i kind of want to talk about a lot of stuff but if I if I could so I want to start with open city or open house and then Mm. uh, slowly go and kind of finish on where you're moving to after this but uh, I do I do really want to go into detail about open city as it's now called Mm. and explain to people um, a bit more about I want to know more about how it started because I I read something about um, you described the architectural kind of climate and as to why you very first started Open House, as it was originally called, and mm. I kind of I found that so interesting because I've lost you lose context. I can't imagine what it was like twenty how how long was it twenty
1: three years ago now twenty three yeah. years
0: ago. So it's really interesting to hear why you started it. So what 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 originally started Open House at the very beginning?
1: Okay. <laughs> Um, taking it right to, back to the beginning. Yeah, you have to sort of remember a bit of my context that I've been around architecture. I was taking architects around the world looking architecture. I was actually writing a bit about it. I was publishing a guide to first guide book to contemporary London, really, uh, with my partner, Ken Allenson. So there was a bit of I was around it and therefore I was in it. Um, And I was seeing the real thing, as I call it, architecture in the flesh. Um, But realised not many other people, if you're outside the profession, you didn't see this. And I didn't think I was anything special. That I thought, well, if I'm enjoying it and thinking it's really important to see it, actually see what good design is about. And I was seeing some great buildings. um, Maybe others should. And also the fact that... um, the profession was tending to always saying no one understands us, society doesn't understand us and I felt well actually you need to let them in yeah. and so it was that so that was my sort of part of it the other part of it of course was that it was a period of um, coming in 1992 as a recession but before that we'd had a lot of only uh, private um, build uh, we were in a conservative government uh, about government um, so there's no public buildings there's no investment in any new uh, civic buildings town halls uh, art museums, everything had to be private so again there wasn't much coming through in contemporary architecture yet it was part of us part of us as a contemporary city and the sort of climate was there was a department of heritage mm. um, heritage heritage there wasn't a department of architecture. And actually there was this real kind of divide between, therefore, old, heritage is good, new, contemporary is bad. And I just thought this is ridiculous because we're in a contemporary city. It's about the quality of it, not the age of it. But sort of, we had two real camps. We had obviously English heritage, um, but also the architecture world was only really interesting contemporary. So sort of they never were coming together. So, it seems
0: amazing to think now that now heritage is uh, heritage and kind of contemporary architecture, the best is where they perfectly kind of…
1: Yeah, but they still separate them out and, and you're right, they are much more um, connected and they were connected in the rest of Europe. So if you went to Barcelona or you went to mm. Italy, Spain, you would see this sort of… Uh, connection of, of them just melling together but it wasn't happening here. It felt you couldn't put a contemporary context very easily. There were you know, exceptions but generally that was the case. So uh, it was really feeling a bit of frustration because I've seen some great contemporary architecture. I love contemporary architecture uh, but there was this sort of um, uh, sort of polls and I just thought well why? let's just see what happens and try and do something about it.
0: And did you look around at the time? Were there there other people trying to do what you were trying to do? Or did you literally go, I'm trying to find something and I'm just not seeing anything like that?
1: There were. There is a precedent of the Jeunes de Patron, which came out of France, but that was looking at monument buildings and it's run by the government. So it was sort of top down. There was also doors open in Scotland, but that was run by the preservation of Mm. Scottish architecture. So everything was about, uh, past and there wasn't anything just saying architecture so though sometimes people think oh it's the same actually the aims and objectives are quite different but it's uh, some you could say it's nuanced but actually for us it's it's really fundamental
0: <laughs> and did was there was there a point where you sat down in a pub or a cafe and you were like do you know what we should do was the, do you remember that point where you decided to kind of do that thing or was it a very slow evolution you came up with the kind of this is what i want to try and achieve and you want to you kind of slowly built up to what is now open house or was no,
1: open i can't house? i can't to be truth, i can't remember the first two years it was slightly not the same when we only actually started with one day um so it was more about taking people around um and it was so in the first year there was so like 20 we we went around but by the year th- 3 uh, 1994 we we're actually already 200 buildings so we changed quite quickly. Um, so so th- going
0: back to the original buildings yeah. then what, what 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 made you choose those original 20 or how did you well, even get those architects? Well it's getting some,
1: getting some architects I mean I think Finsbury Health Centre was in there which had been closed for a lot of time We've actually just got managed to get it open back open um, so you're sort of new I mean obviously I lived in Camden and there was Remember, there were architects departments, so you had Camden architects department, so you had a lot of good architecture around in some of the boroughs. So I sort of tackled it by looking at one or two boroughs, uh, councils, and actually saying to them, would you like to give a bit of money because you've got some great architecture, your environment's really important, surely, you have an architect's department, blah, 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 and um, can you help? So they did, early on, some of the boroughs did actually help. The other thing was, I do remember, I do remember (laughs) being in a pub, which I think is not there any longer in Camden coming up with the name and saying didn't want architecture because it was a barrier. Exhibition was really a barrier as well Um, and wanted it to be open to everybody and said okay well should be open house and that's how we came up with it. But of course it is an art exhibition Mm. because you're seeing the real thing and most exhibitions are seeing the real thing not a mediated experience. And was was the the
0: intention always to get uh, Joe, public, you may have n- maybe didn't have any knowledge of architecture to go in the buildings they saw, or was it to try and get other architects or people in those arenas to see other buildings, or was it always decided for everyone? Was it's that-
1: well, it's always been for everybody, but it was really for <coughs> the public. I'm, you know, in that sense, the public, but it was also to bring everybody together. So there wasn't this hierarchy, which there's always a t- uh, can be a dreadful thing where you everyone wants to engage people about something. And it's always, well, you should uh, know about this. I'm going to tell you about it. And I didn't really want to do that eh? because I don't like being told what to do. I'm not very good at it. (laughs) Um, And I just thought this is not the way to engage. What you want to show them is something real and have a conversation. So even then, most probably it was to sort of get into things that you normally can't get into because, Actually, architecture is about a building as a whole thing. Mm. Um, obviously, that is attractive to people. Um, and even quite early on, is trying to bring one or two uh, houses into the program because that's something that is close to everybody. Everybody understands yeah. home.
0: But that, I think that's one of the that was one of the reasons I was so excited uh, when you when you said you'd come on the podcast was because I personally love the idea of having open architecture. I, I don't I really don't like that invisible barrier of when you someone when you ask someone a question they're like you don't know about that building you're like well no i don't and i hate it when people say that because you're like well why don't you explain it to me and I, I like the idea of of experience i think there was a quote on uh, the open city website which says uh, you can't uh, you can't experience architecture through textbooks and i just thought that's so true i mean you should especially in london there's so many buildings that you can't go in to actually, because isn't the queue now for Lloyd's to get in on Open City ridiculous?
1: Oh, the Open House weekend is just—it's uh, a bit like a football match now. I mean, sometimes last year was—I cha- mean, chaotic. <laughs> it's like uh, crowd control. I think we're actually experts in crowd control now. Uh, but yes, it's sort of a real in- interest, and it was—it was also about um, showing not just showing people, but actually the aim really was always behind it was uh, helping people to be more informed. So therefore, you would be more articulate, articulate to demand something. So there's sort of a circle in this, in mm. my mind, always, that if you're more informed, and therefore, in terms of architects, you need to be looking at it, comparing, contrasting, which was another part of it. So the more it's like, The more you know, the less you know. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely true. So you think, I I know what I like. And then, oh, well, that's around the corner. Or "Uh, I've got a shot opportunity. I might as well just do that. And you're surprised that you might not still like it, but you actually respect it because you've heard or you've seen it. Mm. So it's really about uh, that sort of, be helping people to become more informed in their own right mm. and empower them as well empower them to actually say i don't like that or I, I, why aren't why don't we have that because rather than just saying i don't like
0: it's so true because uh I think with the with the podcast, I obviously used to listen to a few, but now I do one. I listen to so many more and I really give it the time that I would never have normally done before. And it's the same with buildings. I think one of the things I liked was uh, people make snap decisions on buildings. Oh, it's horrible. But they don't understand. There's a very, very, very good reason why it's years and years of design development. And I think the second you understand that every building has a reason for existing, you want to. You can still not like buildings. That's mm. absolutely fine. But you you want to understand why, and you're a lot more, I think, as architects, you, you're, I guess forgiving, not forgiving, but it's the wrong word. But I think the idea of letting, enabling the public to go into buildings is such a is such a big. It's because, as you said, it's so. There's so many people that do it now on the on your open. How many yes. was it last time? It's like 200- oh, two
1: hundred thousand people. It's
0: crazy. Do you look back and look now and you go, wow, this, <laughs> it's ridiculous because how architecture is like really cool now. Yeah, but it, it wasn't like that when no. you first started. Then it was. No. Did Play. you have, so Lloyd's building for example? That was on that was on your original.
1: That came in quite early on, uh, but I mean we you know we have piles of files saying no. <laughs> No, really? are you mad sort of thing. But we kept knocking up on that door, and I think it was trying to make sure that we had a range of buildings. That was one mm-hmm. of the things. There's other reasons, but not for particularly you know, for this conversation. But. Um, I just wanted to make sure that we did have a range of buildings and that um, it was about the everyday. And I think that's a sort of key difference from a sort of journey to pattern sort of thing. It's about grand buildings. And I wanted to actually show how you live, work and play. You can have uh, design on the everyday. And a lot of things are not perfect. But when you understand it a bit more or you respect it, might not like it, but you understand... Um, why it came about and um and buildings our built environment is complicated there's a lot of people involved as we know and i think again realizing that um it isn't just about you know the architect up in the car Garrett, garret etc it is about a lot of people coming coming together and in a way agreeing on something Mm -hmm. and um hopefully doing something really well
0: (laughs) and do you do you uh Do you have the same buildings year in, year out? Or did you create them at the beginning and try and... Did you find out what the public loved the first time you did it? And you think, well, if they like those, I'll maybe have a few more of that no, it wasn't the kind
1: of. everyone says what was we strategy we, the, the, the word strategy didn't exist 23 years ago <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of is it you know there's sort of usually 80% you know what are good um, are considered good um, obviously the older buildings it's easier because there's a lot has been written about mm. it than the newer ones well there are wards and everything else and actually just when one went out on the street and looked around so there's you know a new built up a new Quite, quite a lot of architects anyway, practices. So it was sort of going, well, what what do you got? And we've quietly, we've always quietly curated. Uh, we don't have a panel or anything else. It's sort of, it must be the last 20%. So someone will say, oh, Victoria, why do you have that one in? And then someone will say, well, why do you have that one in? So you can't please everybody, but it is about actually realising there's all types and everything else. And it's quite Catholic. Any city is quite Catholic in its, its, uh, its, its architecture, in fact.
0: It's, I, just, I, I love the idea of you having that conversation. Because uh, I, I imagine there must be some buildings where people just don't get it. I Why have you put that building in? You, and do you sit down and explain to me like, oh, that's fine. If you don't like it, that's absolutely yeah. your... Maybe read Don't this. go
1: to it. Yeah. <laughs> You've got... To, well, it's like brutalism. You know, everyone... Um, now I see kind of a, a brutalist tour, you know, and I actually was... Um, where was I going to? Oslo, I think, to launch Open House Oslo. And in that in-flight magazine, it was talk about brutalism in London. I thought, wow, that wouldn't have happened 23 years ago. So, you know, it's, it's also what comes round as well. Things do come
0: round. And so... So you first, you first started, it's called Open House, and this idea that uh, Open House had this kind of friendly connotation of a house, it was open to everyone, and then that's changed now to Open City.
1: No, well, the actual organisation, we originally were Open House, we had an event, but... Hopefully we had a bit of money, so we needed a bank account, so we called it Open House. And it actually took um, until 2010 to say, because we'd started lots of other programmes, that uh, by this time I said, look... Uh, we're doing so much we're not just about open house and people say so what do you do for the rest of the year after 48 hours (laughs) and the other teams were going absolutely ballistic saying you know uh, through our education program so we said no the organization needs to change its name to open city and the programs stay as a sort of in fact they're kind of like mini brands so open Mm. house is a a programme but it's sort of mini brand along with our ArchiKids, Kids Green Sky Thinking etc yeah. but it, it's the one everybody recognises and it's the easiest way to describe us as an organisation and just say okay do you know about Open House in September and they go oh yeah great and off we go
0: because I want to talk about the, uh, mm. the kind of Accelerate and all the other programmes mm. and stuff but um, I, I just for for I guess I'm trying to work out how wh- why you start like why <laughs> so you started Open House and then that became that became your job or was this part time what you, you kind of how how did that work at the
1: yeah, beginning yeah i mean we're all volunteers i mean it was in my spare room my partner ken we have every i don't i don't even know where volunteers other volunteers came from um, but somehow they sort of came to the flat i had my own sort of um, organisation kind of freelance of doing at the time um, writing and things and um, so it started in the home and then we got a bit of money. So eventually managed to get it was like someone doing half day or one or two days a week. And in 1994, sort of just two years, I was actually headhunted by the RIBA to set up their as director of the, their first RIBA architecture centre. So actually I had... A half-time job at the RIBA, which is more like a full-time with a team there. And then I had this volunteer side with a half-day a week or whatever with somebody else, part-time with open house. So I actually had two jobs and I'm still writing books. So I actually had most probably about three jobs. So I was doing everything. Um, <laughs> Keeping busy to, then. Up to 1998, that's what I did. I did the two combined. Um, and people would just come into the flat um, and just have the key come in. And uh, they would be in the different rooms and the bedrooms sort of selling the idea of, would you like to open your house or home for free or your building? Um, no, we're not going to give you any money. It's for the public good. It's for civic pride. We want to show off, you know, some great design. <laughs> would you do this? <laughs> we were always doing that. So it was just like a call centre.
0: Really. And they were like, sorry, what? You want me to open my building for free?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and have total strangers, you know, coming through your house. Um, so we were quite... You you know, we got quite good at that, I suppose. We must have by even third year of 200 buildings. They were a mixture of things as well. They weren't all totally close, uh, but they were sort of, we thought they were good uh, expressions of uh, design. So we had that. And then it just got more and more volunteers and it got bigger, we got to a point where we only could have a one-way system round the room because we had so many files and things. So (laughs) if you wanted to get A to B, you had to go clockwork or anti-clockwise.
0: So in the West Wing of the Dead, the filing cabinet. Yeah,
1: exactly. And if I was ill, then you just didn't dare be ill because there's nowhere to be ill. There's no bedroom to go into and kind of curl up.
0: Because the the, the whole... The whole premise of the podcast, right, this idea of create more was uh, the reason I'm asking you how it started Like, and I'm really finding out <laughs> is because I am really interested in how you got to a point where you just decided you want to do an idea and then everyone knows that and then sees what it is now. And i love hearing about how it first starts because it's. You said, I was like, what's your strategy? And you're like, strategy, I didn't have a strategy. And that makes me so happy because this idea that everyone should have this brilliantly, perfectly formed plan from day one. And what I like hearing about is just how people are constantly evolving the idea. And it takes years for what you had in your head to become the kind of the thing that it is. And were there years where you were like, did you you start off, we're going to do this every year? Or was it, I mean... How did you keep them? I think it was game? called suck
1: it in the sea, quite <laughs> frankly. Um, I think it's partly, I mean, going back to your thing, I think it's about passion. Everyone says you're very enthusiastic. And I know my team's always been called enthusiastic. Um, and it's having a, a passion. Without a passion for something, enthusiasm and go get, you, you'll never do anything. You never start anything, I don't think. Yeah. So you have to have that. And I think you must probably have that um, uh, I'm going independence, let's put it yeah. that way. So there's always that. But when it goes on, no, I had no idea. I mean, we had no money. I mean, we go, this is great, but... How do we keep this going? So people say, oh, it's happening next year. And we go, well, we don't know. And then we manage it. And then, oh, it's going to happen next year. And we go, no, we don't know if it's happening. It's quite time-consuming. But somehow just felt, really wanted to see where it would go um, and didn't know it would grow into what it's grown into.
0: And is, it, is the is the idea that it would always be, you're a non, non-for-profit non mm. charity? Is yeah. That, yeah. Was the idea that it would always be that straight from the off? Or why, yeah. why not try and change into business? I, I think it's great that it is a charity. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to lead you down there. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm curious as your decision.
1: Um, I think it was, oh, Ava, there was no social enterprise. There was no other things like that. But it was so no one could make it into something else. And I suppose, in a way, trying to keep it tight. Um, and it was for everybody. And so, well, if you try and make it into this potential to make it, uh, you know, have a monetary basis, it means we wouldn't have access for everyone. And that was one of the key things of saying is for everybody Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a monetary barrier and i think that would have happened actually incredibly quickly um or there would be sort of the vip you know this account levels and we're very flat when it comes to the weekend no one can jump queue unless you work you know there's a sort of so there was the feeling of it, it was about just making something caring about your environment And that didn't really happen. It only happened in membership terms. So there were societies, but again, you had to belong to something. And we just thought, that's not what, you know, your environment's about. And that also sticks to your
0: very fundamental core that it's open for everyone. And you're right, the second you start charging, which building's charge £20 a ticket, which part? And that makes total sense. I just, I think, I just was curious. So you're carrying it on each year, and I imagine it just must take up... You are one day a week for this idea. That must be a running joke that it's just one day a week because it must take the months before it must. It must be full time for you, right? No,
1: it's. I mean, my team. I sort of, sort of in the CEO role these days, but I can roll up my sleeves when I need to, (laughs) um, and did write it for a long time. but it is it is immensely um, time consuming because you're building relationships all the time. And it is about relationships, people trusting you um, that you will do this well. You're going to strangers' homes. And the other thing is we wanted it to be uh, for the residents of the city. And that's, over years, it's become As it's become more and more popular, it's become more problematic, strangely. So, even when we got some money, we could get it from the tourist board. I said, Well, we don't want it from the tourist board because we don't want tourists. We're actually, it's an aim to actually help the residents of london to be more informed to demand something more of their city and their environment so we weren't here to do a festival
0: yeah. it's
1: a means to an end so it's the end of saying helping to be more empowered more informed uh caring about your environment demanding something and this just happens to be the best way of doing it it'd be much easier because think of better way to do it but haven't
0: come up with it yet. When you when you say uh, <clears throat> at getting people to demand more from their built environment, mm. how how does that manifest itself? How, how does uh, when when you see it as this cycle of kind of you allow anybody to go in these fantastic buildings and they get this passion for architecture, then how are you saying that uh, then they'll go on to ask more of a certain area they live in or understand yeah. when so trying to think because one of the things I want to move on to is the this idea of the feedback loop of how that kind of manifests itself and this is going on to the kind of accelerate program Mm -hmm.
1: well I think just taking that uh through is about if you um if you're more aware in a way we say it's about starting on a journey so if you say once you know something you open up your eyes so we know if people as everyone says done open house they will start looking so we've taken a first step straight away um, so that is one of the things of helping people to just be more informed and both sides I mean I'm talking about the built environment professionals hearing and listening and and explaining what they've been trying to do um, so there's such important part of it also with open house Actually, it's really hard work. It's like doing homework. If you've ever tried to go, where shall I go? If you know one building, fine. But after that, you go, where? what do I do? And you have to sit there and work it out so you're doing a lot of work it's not handed on a plate to you and by the time you're doing that you're actually learning so we call it horrible thing of self-learning but it is the fact that you're built and you don't know you're learning you're Mm. just reading things you think well what's that what's that building or who's it by oh i don't that sounds interesting no that doesn't sound interesting so you're you're doing quite a lot of work Mm. and even if the first year you're not doing you might just go to one building you Still, will tend to go. Oh, I'll just go around the corner to another one. So, you're doing a lot of learning, and it is an edge. <laughs> I would never say it out and if I was doing the press or anything and saying it's an education event, but actually, fundamentally, it yeah, is. Yeah, I think that... But no one well, turn, I wouldn't turn up I was told I was going to an education <laughs> event at an the education weekend. Education
0: event on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, you must be kidding. <laughs> so, so then, so when did because I'm obviously taking part mm. in the Accelerate program, and uh, so. I feel really strongly and I really enjoy the idea of tutoring. And I did some tutoring at Nottingham as a tutoring part ones. And I really enjoy it. So that's why I got involved. But I was hoping you could explain, well, why Accelerate and what age groups and stuff and a bit of the history behind that.
1: Okay, Uh, well, Accelerate is the Accelerate into University. So it's a mentoring programme for... (laughs) <laughs> it's always these words: hard to reach, non from non-traditional family. I those who basically don't have the support, usually of middle-class uh, parents and families and teachers, uh, but they want to go into something in the built environment, mm. and this is a way to help those uh, go through that, have a better chance of getting through the process. Because actually, it's partly the process, um, like understanding how you do kind of critical thinking how you build a portfolio how you do admissions how to build self-confidence all those things are when you actually go for interview that's where you often they often stumble yeah. um, so it's giving them those tools to be able to have a more of a level playing field with the others coming in who tend to be middle class etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's feeling that if society is about um, everybody, architecture is about everybody, it should actually reflect um, our society. And, that, and we, I think we all would agree um, that it doesn't always do that. So this sort of came, though, from, um, I have to track back because someone in four years after, no, six years after started Open House, noticed that during that time teachers were coming to open house and we also saw kids coming with their mums and dads and things so felt that actually the problem is if we look at the adults open house was great because we're starting on a journey Um, but for future generations how did you uh, get them involved and so we felt we had to need to go into schools but the curriculum doesn't have it. So we decided to start building programs. So we had architecture in schools from 1997. And what, uh, well, what age was this when you say this schools? This was second. These were secondary. So we're sort of looking at uh, 14 to 16, 17 year olds. Wow. And uh, in 10 years, I think we would actually. Um, uh, delivered a pr- our various programs to thirty thousand kids. I mean, this year we, alone, we've we've reached out to five thousand young Londoners, and all of those have seen a building at least, and that's the minimum. And um, they've most probably seen uh, met an architect, and they've actually done a creative workshop with us. Right. So we've sort of we grew a lot of our educational, but it's sort of not known in in the you know. our sector um, because obviously we're reaching out to teachers a lot more so that's what started and then we built other programs so we have really about three strong educational programs but we realized that they were doing this and then the kids would say and teachers that so um, where do they go now how do they get into architecture and we said well Mm, That's a bit of a problem. (laughs) And it's not really what we're doing. We're about education. But we realised that maybe we needed to build this kind of programme. And I'd actually gone to UCL to uh, Alan Penn, the dean there, about um, accreditation. So if you're tutoring... Uh, the, of the students were helping, why well, couldn't get the credits? And said, no, 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 it can't happen. I said, well, I've got another. I've got another idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are looking at this, and that's how we started uh, accelerate with UCL being one of our partners, and Make uh, became our uh, practice partner.
0: Because it's so nice, because it, it then means that the uh, the ideas and the imagination are uh, what's your kind of that's your currency, as opposed to just having the right qualifications from the wi- the right school. And I think. This, I'm, I mean, I'm really curious to see because we obviously did the presentation last week and you ran us through and we just received the email of the, the two students that me and MJ are going to look after <laughs> and their work and their sketches and stuff. And I was already impressed with their sketching and buildings and stuff. And I was just thinking, because I, I personally came into architecture quite late. I didn't really know I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be an engineer and then realized I was really crap at engineering. <laughs> but I like the architecture <laughs> side of stuff. And I didn't know I wanted to do that until I was like 21, 20, mm-hmm. 21. So the idea that a 16 year old. Especially, so, architecture seems like such a massive gamble because people go, you know, it's seven years, seven years. Mm. But this idea that they get to experience it, especially coming to making things or any big practice, you mm. know, just to see this is the end game. This is this is what it. Mm. It's no more complicated than this. It is as complicated, but no more complicated than this. And I think, yeah, I can't wait. And if they before they come into your program, into the program, if they they haven't been into an office, this is the very.
1: Yes, most probably. They might have done a work experience because most kids have to do it and things. And I think this is seeing the environment. But actually, what we're really interested in is not about work experience, because you know, they don't do that. But it's helping, it's mentoring them. Mm. So you're the mentors, because that's actually what often people need is a mentor. Yeah. You know, your parents' might being your mentor to help you through. Um, so this is actually giving them to a mentor, but not just a mentor to reflect, but actually keep in a way so pushing them to think in the way that they need to be because that is quite a transformation, in fact, from school mm. um, to actually doing that independent thinking. There is quite, actually quite a big gap. Um, so this actually helps them to do that because when they get to, the you know interview process even if they have wonderful drawings if they can't start expressing it yeah. um it's more difficult so we want to give them as many tools as possible so coming into the sort of real environment to actually be thinking in that way is sort of a, a win-win situation
0: yeah definitely i mean as i said at the beginning of the podcast i always like i always like to see that when people first start they didn't know 100 percent what they're doing and they've that 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 kind of feeling of uh you don't see this kind of invisible barrier that you can't get through you can see the trail of progression you just believe in the process you don't know how to start be passionate and you'll slowly work up right and this idea that when they come in they will see the first time you do a building it's a series of really kind of basic sketches and then you do models and you scrap the whole thing and then you restart again and again and mm-hmm. again and then that idea that because when i first started i thought every sketch had to be perfect the first time i did mm-hmm. it and in fact, I probably still do to a certain extent. I don't want to, like, this idea of you just get in and splash around and, you know, make mistakes. I'm still a <laughs> I know, I know it's a process, but it's, it's so fast and things. So this idea they have this quite, I mean, it must be quite intense for them, you know, what, two or three hours. Mm. That's a long time to concentrate in an environment. Yeah. Uh, not overwhelming, but if you've never been here, yeah. into an office and...
1: And also, it's, a, it's nearly a nine-month program. So it's not... We we don't believe in quick fixes. And I think that's often another reason why our programs are such. We don't just do one afternoon, do some kind of creative exercise and things. We actually uh, want to take people through a process and realize it takes time. And also, if you are... Um, if you're not very uh, uh, confident and things to actually give you that time and space to be at, at, be able to do that, and a lot of these uh, young people are bright, they have to be, to get on the program. Mm. They really do need to be bright, but surprisingly, then they just don't have those other parts. So it actually is helping them to feel that yes, they can do this, but, and also, as you said, is you don't have to get everything right the first time. It's like going up those cul-de-sacs. What about design, ideas, developing is the whole point of going up, falling back, going in and out, all those things. And they learn it's okay to do that because that's one of the real things I think they don't tend to learn at school. It's sort Mm. of right or or wrong.
0: 100% agree. That's why I think exams are just... I'm personally not a huge fan of exams and the way they operate, but that's because I'm not very good at them. I'm the same. Whereas this idea, I think one of the things I love is that when you're doing CAD work and design work, once you've written it, once you've drawn it there, it's on the paper, whereas I find that the more stress you get with memorising things, it's ironic that the more stress you get, the less you can memorise stuff. But I just... does When you... You first started off with open house and you got people into buildings and you see that kind of conversation start happening and then you do the accelerate programme and you start to see the younger generation of people Mm. getting to it. Those must be just must feel great to see that process. You know, I think that's one of the the only things that I don't like as such over big long projects is you don't have that kind of real time feedback of you're doing something something productive and creative and it goes on for quite long and I like this idea of you have got a tangible benefit of the things that you're adding to the architecture environment. If that makes
1: yes sense. Yes and no. I mean, people say to me. I remember a journalist said, "So what? Uh, what evidence do you have that you've had an impact?" And I said, <laughs> "I don't know." I mean, you know, people go out into the world. Uh, young, young Londoners, kids go out. They might come back. They might come back as volunteers and some of them do. And they said, oh, you remember, you know, I got a prize that, you know, but I haven't become an architect and I didn't want to become an But, you know, it was great that I got that prize. And then you get through, you know, we're into three generations now. So we mm. had mother and daughter and now we have grandmother, mother and daughter. That's a bit frightening. Uh, <laughs> I'm still around. Um, but it actually does take people through and what they are doing is telling everybody Else, so um, that whole thing of yes, we see the end result, but we don't. We're sort of like ringmasters in a way. We're sort of setting that and setting everybody off with some tools, as it were. Uh, But after that, they're on their own, really.
0: Because I was, I was reading some of your kind of. um, You've also got some blog posts on on your Mm. website and stuff, and. So it's been, how long has it opened? It's been 25 years or 22 23 years. 23 yeah. years. Yeah. And in, <laughs> that, world, yeah. Yeah. in that time, you must have seen London transform hugely. And there must, you obviously feel very passionate to write about these things. So are there, are there are there things that you champion for and things you champion against? Or do you try and sit back and let it play out? and Or do you really try and get stuck in...
1: Yeah, it's in, it's interesting. Uh, if I think if I had really been loved writing and being a real kind of journalist, mm. I would have had a different approach to it in a way, and I would have been writing everything about it. But that's not me. I'm I'm much more verbal or uh, vocal sometimes, um, write, rather than writing my thoughts down. So actually, there wasn't a mechanism. So actually, having blogs is is a way that you can just talk, write it down. Um, So in a way, I was uh, looking at more um, champion, but more questioning. So putting the questions out. We're not, I'm not the expert. I'm a generalist in a way. Uh, So it's much more about putting those questions out and see how people respond to it. But there's usually always a question that's current and a current issue um, that's sort of around that people are passionate about or they want a conversation about. So, you know, we started sustainability because actually the public were interested in it more <coughs> than anybody else. Mm. Um, and so we built that up. So then I'd have, want to talk about that or school design. We did for three years, um, three publications for the Department of Education, looking at not from the design point of view only what the designer's intent, intention was, but actually the response by the users and that was the point of the publication to say why they thought it, they had a good school and for what reason. So it was actually giving information back. So that's how we tend to or I have tended to and that's maybe because my own limitations are not being able to write kind of big pros or
0: anything. <laughs> but you, have you found that you're, you're starting to get You where you are on advisory boards and things you know because of your kind of background and experience mm. in London? Is that do you enjoy being like, the you, because you must see, not only do you see the actual output, you see what's going on behind the scenes and how those things develop and stuff. It must it must be really interesting yeah. just to kind of get stuck in at that I, level.
1: I did. I sort of pulled back after a while because it can a, take a lot of time. I mean, I was on the Arts Council um, Architecture Advisory Panel and I always remember we looked at the lottery came in and we said, OK, tick box, tick box, tick box. There's no tick box for design. This is madness, you know, the architecture panel. And so that was really good. And that was under Palumbo, actually, um, that we got design as a criteria with the arts council for the lottery. However, the sports board didn't have it for about four or five years. So actually, if you looked at the old lottery of the sports, they're really badly designed mm-hmm. because it wasn't a criteria. So when it's something like that, you feel part of it. Um, but I'm I'm sort of a person who wants to think and do, and I, that's why I say in the team, you have to think, but you have to do at the same time. So thinking all the time is great. Um, it's lovely going to a conference or whatever, but um, I rather just sort of get on and. Try things and say I'm quite independent.
0: <laughs> no, but I think that's great. I think I, I, I think that uh, as you said, I like to do stuff as well. I think uh, it's very easy to write stuff. It's very easy to talk the talk, but to walk the walk as well, and to actually, I guess, get on the front line is a good way of describing it. But to back up your opinions with, you know, well, I went out and did it, and we're doing open house, and yeah. it does, you know, so many people and stuff. And I just, I just think it's, um, for me personally. I have only ever been in my own little world in my own little pocket of whatever I want to see at whatever given time so I actually realised there was so much stuff I hadn't seen and now doing the podcast and having that ability to go and chat to people and I I like the idea of exploring the environment that you're in and I personally haven't been in London for five years seeing the kind of I guess explosion of development Mm. everywhere I mean when I first started at Make in 2008 we were kind of in the recession and it was a real kind of oh my god, you know we're going to have to make people redundant, and it and it was at that time I, it was seen as really unlike it was seen as really um, kind of not common to be on a building site. Mm. It everything was done in computers, and I remember us talking to people who'd been here at Make for six years and never been on on site, <laughs> and now half our projects are on site, like half the office mm. is on sites and stuff. And you look out, I went I, was, I went for a run on Primrose Hill, and to see the kind of sea of cranes everywhere. And to see potentially what potentially might be happening in the city, the you know the centre of the city, and seeing these mega tall buildings go up, do you do you find that uh, certain students are drawn to certain types of architecture? This kind of because I, I, this is why I can't wait mm. to. This is I I was genuinely thinking I'd like to sit down and have a podcast with a sixteen-year-old who is totally at the very first step mm. of what they're about to do, and I'd love to hear. What they think of architecture, you know, like do they do they like tall buildings? Do they understand them? Or are they, is it just wow? Because I think from an engineering point of view, they're incredible, right? Mm. They're like our new cathedrals. But is that do you actively encourage them to look at certain typologies? And you're like,
1: no, we try to. I think this is the sort of live, work, and play. I mean, the things the wow factor with teenagers for. Always do it. I mean, um, you can be very cool. I mean, I, I always remember the story. It's slightly different. But um, the Tower of London, we had another programme. It was a game for hard to reach kids from Peckham. Let's put it that way. And they'd never been to the Thames. And they were 15, 16, 17-year-olds. So they'd never been to the Thames. Never three miles. Peckham. Never been. Yeah. And uh, we had this programme. And anyway, we were taking them uh, around. And we took them to the Tower of London. Which made me actually a realize actually it was a, a quite it's a village I thought oh Tower of London you know heritage blah, blah. but but realised there was a village there was a doctor there and everything else anyway there are crown, crown jewels and we had these very uh, cool guys in the program and uh, the girls went round and looked at the jewels but the boys went wow those are really that bling is. I'm going what's bling <laughs> and, and they and they went round again and said wow these kind of jewels and everything and they were mesmerised by it and I think that is what happens with buildings as well so mm. that's what they're picking up initially yeah. and then you get under the skin a bit further yeah. of what what you like what you don't
0: like especially London's kind of they, that round of the last maybe 15 years of iconic skyscrapers they they had to have an iconic shape iconic <laughs> inverted commas but Yeah, I think because I'm just the reason I'm interested, I I remember being that age and I remember not being very passionate about certain things. And it just you just need that little spark of someone to point in the right direction. But it was always tall buildings I loved. But now I kind of I guess it's because you see them so often. But so I think you're now. Stepping down, stepping sideways? Like, how would you describe <laughs> how what's going on now with Open City? Well,
1: I think I didn't expect it, as it were, be around. Um, I suppose I've been lucky enough. Um, I, I stayed as a, a director, as a sort of founding director. So, um, but I had a, because it's a charity, I had a board. Um, but I most probably was very lucky that um, as long as I kept everything in the right direction and we were successful in what we were doing, we are able to um, develop things. So anyway, that's when I say we have five programs, mm. they're real strong programs and I think respected. So I've enjoyed uh, developing or seeing the opportunities to develop. But um, in that I also feel I would just kind of like to do, concentrate on a few things. Um, and there's still to do with open city so I will my title will become founder uh, once I've got a director in soon hope <laughs> um, I can then have a holiday um and I'm going to do two things one is um, actually carry on sort of being founder of open house worldwide because open house concept and I go back to the concept is um it works everywhere. So this model of in public engagement or stakeholder engagement, politicians, uh, the profession, the residents works every single time or I'll touch wood as I say that. Um, So this has been developed by other individuals who also have to become non non for profits. So they take our name and they take our values. They don't payers, it's not a franchise, Um, but they usually come from volunteers who've been here and then gone back to their own country and city and said, oh, can we do it there? So it's grown. And in 2010, we were 10 cities and in effect, they kept starting to grow. So without sounding grand about a brand and things but because everything's uh, international now um we s- thought well we could either come try and sue them a, we don't have enough money for all doing that <laughs> but that's not the approach we have so we said well, let's create a, a positive uh, approach and a tent and create this family so this family started with about four two and three nothing grand and and we had no strategy. It just kept coming. So by 2010, I say there's 10. Uh, by 2015 this year, worth 30. And the rate it's going, I know this, I'm launching eight next year. So by 20. 20- 17 we're likely to be nearer 50 cities but they're all independent and they will have to find their own money but they take our values and one of the things I do is sort of like a surgery with Skype to try and make sure they're the right have the right ethos Um, I go and launch it which is always very nice but it's, I haven't told my partner that I'm not around much next year because I'm always <laughs> running around the world. Um, so I want to do that because it's coming up to our 25th anniversary. But also, again, to see what it impacts. I'm really trying to develop a impact study of saying underlying why it's so successful. Mm. It's not about opening buildings. as I say that's educated. But why is it so successful every single time where... The public come up and say, This is fantastic. We're seeing our city for the first time. We feel we're part of it. Um, we feel empowered by it. They call it a very democratic event. Um, it's democratizing the city, democratizing space. These are words I wouldn't use myself, mm. but this is being um, said to us. So there's a lot going on, and the politicians get it, especially abroad. Mm. So, you know, you'll get a mayor wanting to be at launch and all those things. So there is something It's trying to get behind it yeah. again. It's like you're saying what's behind. So that's what I'm going to do uh, next year. And also the education is doing s- similar things of how we've made this sort of process and this models that we've we've developed, which, again, you know, most probably will get replicated elsewhere, like Archie Kids Festival, yeah. which is as you know, it's for kids and and parent, and adults can come to it the long as they behave. So we've got. So that's what.
0: The reason I'm, I'm going smiling to... is that I just heard you say what five minutes ago. I wanna, I wanna step down so I have a bit more time. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just gonna do open house worldwide. And uh, <laughs> you're like that sounds sounds slightly more ambitious than just uh, one city. You're going around the world, but uh, it's nice to hear you kind of be that passionate and I guess not uh, protective, but. You want people to get it from the foundations and build up to open city and whichever city there is, there is as opposed to misinterpret what they think open city stands for, because that must so easily happen, right? Yeah. People go, well, we'll pay. That's, we'll pay, and then they have yeah. to pay to get in. And uh, it must... Um, we, we were talking when I met you last time about this idea that every city will have its own interpretation of uh, it just will have its own language and everything. So you can almost imagine like a pool of buildings that... They, I guess a website, I guess like a highly... Or Instagram and things. I guess social media is the easiest way for people to digest all these images and photos of buildings that uh, architectural photography is all this kind of empty, grand buildings. Mm. But the ones that I really like when I see open house is you see queues of people... Mm. not people in suits in Lloyd's looks mm. really, really funny because it, it looks so out of character. and it's
1: designed for yeah, that yeah. function.
0: Yeah, and uh, and, I, and I really like that. And I was just thinking, you know, you've got this huge, where well, you're going to have a worldwide network of mm. people and universities, I guess, is what, and schools and...
1: Well, I think that's and in, in twenty seventeen. Want to my final thing, and then I, re- I mean, no director wants an unfounded de- previous director hanging around. So I, I'm very, uh, I'm very sure I'm not going to be doing that. Um, because I want to do other things. Mm. <laughs> I just want to finish this bit off. Um, but we have uh, in open house around the world. In some of the cities, the students become the volunteers, and it's part of their accreditation. So they get oh, points idea. for their course. And I think that's really important because it helps them straight away, 18, 19-year-old, A, having to start explaining about um, the building, so they have to understand the design. Mm. They've got to communicate it in a, a normal language, rather than architectural
0: gobbledygook, as I often say. Oh, yeah, no, totally with you on that.
1: And yeah. um, and hopefully that will then um, uh, go back into their practice and uh, wherever they work. Um, I think that's a really important part of this worldwide basis. So the some of the cities do... That they do different things, or and some of the cities take it on board because they, um, Monterey, Mexico, they wanted to move from an industrial city to a cultural city. as that progression? And they're using open house architecture as a medium to do that. And I think that's quite a, an interesting way. Yeah, it's fantastic. So there's lots of reasons behind it, but it's usually it has to be for the residents of that place. Otherwise, why should I open my house for a load of tourists in the nicest possible way? That's not yeah, our, yeah, our aims and objectives. But you're right. is Sometimes you have to keep pressing and proving that this is the right model because everybody says, you know, thinks, oh, we can do something different. Mm. And we're saying, no, it really works. It's a simple idea.
0: That's the. I think that's the and key. And you, yeah, you sold almost the title is the entire an open city for everyone an open house for everyone and I think that must uh, again you must see it just to see it expand again because mm. you, you're almost sitting back and you could allow it to happen on its own random ways, but you want a bit, an element of control. But you're saying you go out there and open it officially to try and, and yes. sit down with them and talk them through. And-
1: yes, and I go and officially do it in several ways. One, I'm sort of mon- monitoring them in a nice possible way <laughs> to make sure it's working uh, as we want. Um, also to uh, help them with publicity because you sort of get the local, global, local. So mm. if you think there's now most probably nearly a million people taking part in this one event... If you think of it like that, because mm. everybody does the same, is it so, all on the same weekend? Is that no, the it, everyone started straight after us, so they all came right, and then of course, the seasons, you go, well, if you're in the southern hemisphere, you're not going to do it at you know yeah. kind of, at forty degrees, <laughs> you know you'd be mad um so they started spreading out, so there's only a few months left, um, but they do keep coming i mean this this week alone um I've had from by. Uh, Boston, Florence, and I can't think of this. So I've had four emails this week, and we're only on Tuesday. Wow! Saying we'd like to do um, column, uh, Colum- uh, Sri Lanka. Um, <laughs> can we like to you know, take this? I've, I've really thought about it, and I've looked at your Q and A on your website. And at the same time, next year there's should be launching is well, Mumbai's one, Kuala Lumpur. Seoul, San Diego and Chile, San Diego and America, Milan, um Stockholm, and those are the ones I can think of straight away.
0: You are going to be spectacularly well travelled by two thousand and seventeen. I know. And, and then you? someone
1: says about your carbon footprint. You're on the sustainability. I go, yeah. Okay, let's not talk about that. <laughs>
0: you're like, I'm just one person. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're coming up to the hour mark, So mm. I'll wrap this up now. But. Uh, I still have so many questions but I will I will uh, I'll save that maybe for another time and uh, but this idea that you've you've seen open house and open city you know but you've seen the whole the whole cycle what's it like knowing that you're going to step down from open city and, and pass that kind of mantle onto someone else do you are you like do you know have I've 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 seen it all. Like it, I've had, it's exactly how I wanted to end it. I couldn't have hoped for a better ending. Or are you kind oh, of? Oh
1: god, no. <laughs> I, I I mean, I have loads of drawers. My team knows. I can pull out and go, oh, when that draw. But we didn't find the funding. It's usually to do with funding more than anything. It might be the right time, but not the funding or whatever. Um, because remember, I have to say we don't get any core funding from anywhere. So we never got money given to us and worked through. So we actually act more like a business, like we have to sell our ideas to people and for them to actually buy into us and believe in us. Um, So we had lots of draws. And there's a lot of things I know I would really like us to be doing more, but we haven't for a variety of reasons. And so I, you know, Part of me, yes, there's some things, yeah, I hope people take that on. But they'll come up with our other ideas, as I have and the team has, because it is a team effort. I mean, I'm sort of the the voice, as it were, but um, there's always just a great team and dedicated and passionate team behind and including Volunteers, So it's a whole mixture of people who are just passionate. Um, so you're looking
0: for a new director now as a CEO? or
1: Yes. So there's a new director, hopefully by Christmas. I will have one in place. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll just do a bit of sort of advisory role with them, but get on with this other. And really just, uh, yeah, I have some ideas and one or two. One thing I definitely most probably will set up because um, I think that's a gap I'd like to plug um, and I think I can do it by setting something up. It's uh, all very but...
0: cryptic are you able to say what it no, is? No it does or... because
1: I've, I've got to do it there's <laughs> no good kind of you can talk about it but then do it, don't do do it so I'm going to have to make sure I do it and I can talk about it but also other opportunities because what's great about Open City that one's been so immersed in it mm. but i quite like to just come out and say a bit more and re- see and maybe just uh, be in a position to actually uh, show from the evidence and things. Actually, there are different ways of doing it, doing things um, around our subject area Um, and have the opportunity to maybe people might ask me to look at something or other. I don't know. It's just giving that space to be able to see what happens. After 23 years, I quite like a bit of space.
0: Yeah, I bet. Well, so... So what? What is there anything you can say that you would love Open City to achieve? If the, okay, let's say for the new CEO. No, what, no, that would be any pressure.
1: <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. I think the one thing I would say that we started about three years ago, uh, Open Debate, which is just for the weekend, which actually other cities do. It's not you know not us coming up with it first, and it's just debating, putting a question out of what are the issues uh, in London that time, and we. Lots. I mean, we get thousands of people for the ballot for a hundred. You might get five or eight thousand people. So there is a, a real thirst out there to be connecting the public, feeling they are connected with it, and they don't see uh, avenue to do that. Mm. So open debate, the annual open debate, does that, and also uh, we've done over that time. Um, always a poll or a survey so we're always asking the public what they think about certain issues and I think that is a minefield actually because I think as an organisation, we're seen as trusted, independent, mm. we're not being pushed around by anybody. That's the good thing, I suppose, about really not important. having money. Yeah. And so we've got a really strange, we're just like a hybrid, really, we're a strange position whereby we have actually, potentially have a voice for others, but we're not demanding things. We're just being the conduit and um, how that conduit can develop, i that's for somebody else. But... The 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 set uh, the stage is set for other things. It's not a closed um, open. It is very much an open house in its thinking, and that um, there's lots of potential out there. It's whether you go through that door or you decide not to go through that door. That's
0: amazing, especially uh, especially with social media and the 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 speed of real time commentary and stuff. I think oh, it sounds very exciting. Big shoes to fill. So.
1: I'm sure. I always think the king <laughs> is dead, long live the king. So.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'll wrap up there. Thank you so much. That's been really fun.
1: Thanks very much.
0: Well, there you go. That was episode 10 of the Create More podcast with me, Ben Stewart, and Victoria Thornton. Um, she's an impressive person, right? She's, um, she's just, well, one, she's super enthusiastic, she's super nice. And two, I think. I think she started Open House around the same age that I am now, so no pressure. But she's uh, she's achieved quite a lot in the last twenty years. Um, so yeah, I uh, I just kind of came away from that just thinking, wow. I just I want to get involved more. I want to do stuff. So um, yeah, if if you want to get involved, you should uh, go to Open City. They always need volunteers and stuff. And I do think it's something it's a it's a real it's it's something that I do feel quite strongly that you should kind of give back give back to the community man but uh yeah I just listening back to that there is where uh, I do have one hilarious question uh I was going to r- talk about it in the intro where I so the fun part about doing the podcast is that I get to talk to these really interesting people but I have a I have a ton of research load of questions but I mean, as, you can, as I hope you see and enjoy, I kind of get kind of genuinely lost in the conversations if I was chatting to someone, there were no microphones here. So uh, I'm obviously, I'm thinking in real time as well, trying to, uh, there's a lot of questions that I had no idea I would ask because they seem more interesting than some of the questions are more relevant. So when she was talking about Open House Worldwide uh, and uh, she was explaining about all these different cities that are going to get involved and I just start asking a question and then... I only get two thirds of the way through the question. And by the time I've asked, I'm already thinking about where I'm going to go with the next question. So <laughs> for about a minute I'm going, so what do you, well, you could do this and then you could, um, and, then, and then you can do this and then you can take pictures, and then And I tail off. And the fun, what you can't, what you obviously can't get from the podcast is that we're sat in a very, very small room. And with eye to eye, it's a completely gray soundproof room. And I kind of watched ahead till ever so slightly sideways with a kind of where are you going with this question, Ben? Uh, So uh, it's, uh, yeah, it really makes me laugh because that, that does happen a lot, but uh, you know, it's part of the reason why I enjoy it. But so essentially what I was trying to convey is with all these buildings around the world, some of the best pictures I think that you'll get of architectural buildings are from the people using the buildings. I don't mean architectural photography, which is all very, it's beautiful and stunning and it's all perfectly lit, but Uh, with the kind of explosion of Instagram over the last two or three years and I do think now people engaging with architecture I love those images so the Studio Weave podcast that I did uh, go on their website studioweave.com and they do these amazing like outdoor sculptures and small theatres and interactive architecture but they've always got like kids and people playing in it and the assemble studios are the same like their theatres are just crawling with people and I really like that so <clears throat> but yeah, that's 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 it. That's uh, series one done. Um, uh, if you've uh, if you've got to the end, uh, then again, my little uh, I'm going to do a little extras podcast in a couple of weeks where um, actually let me see if I can get up the name of the person from Twitter. So uh, even though this has gone out to say, I think it's like 4000 people now. So we're, we're getting like three or 4000 people a month, which which is mental. Uh, and I've got a few nice texts from people, um, just about the podcast. And there's a guy called, uh, Andy McMillan, uh, who, uh, just sent me, Really, because I was at a point where not that many—I wasn't actually aware that people were listening or engaging. You know, I know that sounds stupid, but after like two or three thousand people downloads, I hadn't really got many Twitter responses. I'd obviously got a lot of support and love from my friends and people I work with, Um, but it really meant a lot to get a tweet from just someone who had absolutely no reason to tweet me. So, uh, so yeah, so Andy McMillan was just like. Keep it up. That was good. And I had a really nice conversation with them on Twitter. So uh, it's genuinely, it's the smallest things that make me just want to carry on. And that was enough of a little... Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Uh, which is really, really nice. And we had a little Twitter chat. And there's also a guy called James Dale who, um, who said I was on a reading list. or oh, like a listening list. That sounds ridiculous. But yeah, just... Again, really nice. Uh, just that tiny bit of support uh, goes a long way. So um, I know most people don't don't tweet in, but there you go. This is this is me asking if you've enjoyed it. Uh, tweet me. Um, I originally set it up as uh, Played Studio, so at Played Studio on Twitter. That's P L A Y D Studio. This is kind of my separate brand to make to like publish, you know, designs and work and art that I'd done, and also uh, the podcast. But uh, the Create More brand is so much stronger and I just confuse people by saying played so if you just go on Twitter and type in create more podcast that's kind of the the Twitter handle I guess um so yeah so I'm going to do um I'm going to do an extras one this is uh this is for the uh the nerdy people who are again on Twitter who uh want to find out a bit more about how I make it so uh, that's going to come out in a couple of weeks and I'm literally going to explain everything so every bit of equipment how I edit it uh where I got the music from uh, how I promote it what type of software I use how like how do you promote a podcast anyway um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use that uh, as as a way to do a slightly more produced podcast not that I don't produce this one but um uh, that'll be where I edit it more put bed music in a bit more because uh, it's something I really enjoy doing I think I think it's something that that um, i I'd, I'd love to do I love documentaries, obsessed with documentaries, and I love the idea of doing a documentary by interviewing people. Uh just thinking out loud here. But that's kind of the whole point of the podcast. You're, you're getting a conscious stream of thought coming out of my head. So that's it. That is uh, that's series one wrapped up. And I did say uh that series two, I actually got someone uh wooden overcoats uh tweeted me saying, Would you be interested in interviewing us for a podcast? And I had never heard of Wooden Overcoats. Uh, what is Wooden Overcoats? I hear you ask. It is a podcast sitcom. Uh, it's uh, the first one I've ever heard of. Uh, there may have been others, but it's the first one that I've have I've, I've heard. So, Wooden Overcoats is a podcast, uh, a sitcom, and it's really, really funny. I thought, well, I'll listen to it. And I was uh, on the train, on the tube, on the way home, and um, chuckling away to myself. And as I said on Twitter, really shouldn't. I should avoid making eye contact people when you're chuckling because you just look really weird. Uh, but yeah, so series two, I think it's going to start with them. And I'm going to try and stack some of their interviews so I can release them more spaced out so I don't have to stress myself out every two weeks. Uh, so we're going to start releasing them in like early December for the Christmas rush, but we're going to go over to their recording studios. They have record like recordings. They've got famous actors in there. Check it out. It's really, really good. It's really funny. And you'll recognize some of the voices because they're, they're kind of prominent on comedy shows and things on um, BBC. Um, but it's exceptionally well produced. And uh, yeah, check it out. If you wouldn't overcoats on, uh, on uh, iTunes. And yes, yeah, so we're going to go, I'm going to try and do a double. I'm going to try and interview two people at the same time in a recording studio. So, you know, just keep trying more stuff. So, If you're listening this far, you understand that The Waffle is part and parcel of the podcast. Um, So thank you so much for listening, and you should definitely check out my back catalogue for no other reason than that there's loads of other people who are infinitely more interesting than I am, and um, just inspirational man uh so yeah that's it thank you so much and i hope you uh that's it subscribe i keep forgetting to tell people to subscribe click the subscribe button on uh itunes or acast or soundcloud and then every time i release a podcast automatically goes through to you and that kind of bumps our viewing figures up listening figures which then puts us into a chart um which is all really exciting and i really want to share that with you uh i do feel that if you're a regular listener uh i do I think people are like, oh, don't tell people you're listening figures. Don't tell that. Don't tell this. But I'm not in it to do it for advertising. I'm literally just in it to enjoy this kind of conversation with people. So, yeah, I'll I'll tell you if it does really well. I'll tell you if we do really badly. Uh, (laughs) We don't do badly. Uh, But I will keep doing them for me and hopefully you'll enjoy them. So thank you so much for listening. That's the end of series one of the Create More podcast. And the new one will be coming out before Christmas. Thank you. Bye bye.